Well, I hope you have read the, the small short podcast, Why the Name Spiritual Orange Juice, because that will give you a better understanding of this lesson today and some of the things that I will say in it. Until you may be asking the question, why are we doing this one on the steps? Well, the reason is this is where I would come and sit a lot of times early in the morning when we were in our situation. I'd come out here, I'd meditate, talk to the Lord. And a lot of times sitting right here, I got answers, I got peace, and I got direction. So that's the reason we're doing this one from the step. Now I wrestled with what to name this podcast today. I started out with how to live victoriously. Then I struggled with tiling it going to the other side. Neither one would work, but I decided on how to live victoriously. John 14 and 1 says, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. All or most people in the Bible that accomplished anything for God went through adversity. That is why in 1 Peter 4.12, we are told, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. None of us like fiery trials, but they are necessary sometimes. And so don't think it strange when it comes. If you live for God, your time will come. I've heard it said that if we all could just take our problems and put them in a big pile somewhere, then come back and choose a problem out of the pile, that in most cases, we would pick our own problem after seeing what everybody else is dealing with. Most cases, our problems are probably not as bad as the other person's. So the conclusion is that we all have trials and we must know how to handle them. Well, what's the reasons for trials? Well, our adversity is a witness that He is God. Isaiah 43 and 12 tells us. The lion's den, that proved who was God, proved that God of Israel was the true God, the God of Daniel. Because Daniel survived the lion's den when the king came the next morning and cried out to Daniel, Daniel answered him. And then those people that had put people in the lion's den, that had complained about Daniel, they were put in the lion's den along with the wives and their children. So that proved that he is God. Well, at the parting of the Red Sea, the children of Israel backed up against the sea and the army of Egypt behind them. They were in a bad place. The Red Sea party that proved to all the nations and the Egyptians, everyone around, that he was the one and true God. The three Hebrew boys thrown in the fiery furnace. The king looked in there and said, hey, I put three in there, but now I see four. So our trials prove that he is God. Not only that, our trials and adversity give strength and hope to others. We all get strength from Job. Job went through some terrible stuff, but he survived that. And we all gain strength from that today. 
Most of the writings that David did was during his adversity. If David hadn't had all those problems and issues and trials and adversities, then we would not have a lot of the Psalms to read today. And I'm telling you, probably most of us read the Psalms pretty frequently for a little ray of light, hope, and strength. A lot of Paul's writings were done in prison while he was in adversity. And it gives us the truth and hope and guidance today. And two, I've watched others in their adversity, and I've gained strength from them. Now, I'd like to just briefly mention two people that I've watched for years. One of them's name was Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy just passed away a few weeks ago. Joe was, I think, in his 80s when he passed. And I'm sorry that I'm getting this out after he passed. I've had this for quite a while but it's just never worked out for me to say it. But I still want to bring honor to Joe Kennedy. He was a quiet man. He didn't sing, he didn't teach. Really, most of the time you didn't hear him say a whole lot of anything. You never heard him say anything bad about anybody. He was just faithful to God, faithful to God's house. Never gave nobody in trouble. But Joe lost a son, a daughter-in-law, and three grandchildren in one accident. And I will never forget walking into that church and seeing five caskets down in front of that church. That's a scene that'll stay with you. Then several months later, Joe, uh, Joe lost his wife. But Joe never became bitter. He never blamed God. He never complained. He never whined to anybody. He just came to church. Joe was faithful. He never acted depressed or like he was worried about anything. His hope and his trust was in God. He was just a really, really good man. Later, Joe, God gave Joe a good wife, Texie. She's still living today. And if I have it correctly, when Joe passed away a few weeks ago, he had 30 grandchildren and 40-something great-grandchildren. So in a way, God blessed Joe like he did Joe. Gave him more than he had before. Though I know you never can replace those that are lost, but still God will bless us. So God blessed his life. Then I would like to talk about his sister, Sally Kennedy. She was just like Joe, Sally's still living. She's quiet, doesn't have a whole lot to say, but she's faithful to church, faithful to God. And I've watched her over the years, and I have a hard time. I say, well, if Sally can deal with what she's dealing with, I can deal with this. But her and her husband had two children. Both the children developed a crippling disease early in life, and they both had to be put in a nursing home. And because of circumstances beyond her control, Sally had to raise those children pretty much by herself. Her oldest, Todd, passed away three or four years ago. He was around the age of 50. But Misty, the daughter, she's probably, I, I'm thinking about, this, about 50 or so now. But she's still in the nursing home today. While the rest of us go places, go to the mall, We'll see friends, do things. 
Sally has spent most of her adult life going to the nursing home every day. She goes seven days a week. And it's been this way for the most of her life. And to me, that is a, a faithful person to endure what she's done and not complain, but yet be faithful to God and His kingdom. And her and Joe Kennedy both, though they're quiet people, you don't hear anything out of them. I want to give honor to them because in their adversities, they have blessed me. <clears throat> but our adversities strengthen us and gives us the ability to help others. How can I help somebody if I haven't been through it? I've been through some things and I've learned to trust God, learn how to pray, obey God, walk in faith, then I can encourage others and help them. It also helps us get our priorities straight. We go through trials, it's kind of like being on a sinking ship. You're on a ship, this sink is starting to leak water. Well, the first thing you want to do is throw everything overboard that you don't need. You want to get rid of the weight. You know, anything that would cause that ship to sink further in the water. So you get rid of things you don't need, and that's what God does in our lives. He puts adversity on us, and that's what we start doing, examine ourselves. Well, I don't need this, and I don't need that. You know, we get rid of things, help us get our priorities straight. It makes us pray so that God can talk to us. Adversities purify us. A diamond is nothing more than coal that has been under pressure. The Chinese proverb says, a gem is not polished without rubbing, nor man perfected without trials. God is making something out of you. Sometimes it feels like your world is spinning. Well, you ever watched the potter work on a vessel? On that potter's wheel, it's going round and round. Those hands are on there, shaping that vessel, getting the impurities out of it. So if you see like your world's going round and round, maybe you're on the potter's wheel. You look at the life of Solomon. Solomon had it easy. Everything was handed to him. In the end, he fell. But David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But afflictions and adversity made me get my priorities straight, like we talked about. It's important to know that the devil will use our trials against us as a stumbling block to trip us up. Job's test was meant by Satan to trip him up. But Job was victorious and as a result gave hope and strength to millions and still doing so today. So living victoriously is overcoming and being victorious in trials and tribulations. This is something God showed me and it's just so unique. What floats a ship? Water. What sinks a ship? Water. The same thing that floats it will sink it. The difference is you have to keep the water under the ship and the water out of the ship. Now this is an important part of our lesson here on out. Keep the water under the ship, the water out of the ship. So what floats, elevates, or makes a successful Christian? Trials and faith. What sinks a Christian? Trials and unbelief. The difference is we have to keep fear 
doubt, anxiety, and unbelief out of our minds, our trials will sink us. Our trials, tribulations, troubles, tests, etc., will float us or sink us depending on whether we keep them under us as stepping stones or in us as weights or stumbling blocks. It was Abraham, Job, Joseph, Daniel, David's trials that elevated them to that supernatural walk with God. Their trials made them. It did not destroy them. In my observation, ever since just a little small child in Sunday school, I always observed those that stayed with God regardless of the circumstances, didn't matter what was happening, what people were saying, what people was doing, they stayed with God in the end they want. And that's been a big part of my faith all through my life. Just stay with God regardless of what's going on. So we've got to learn how to do this. So let's look at something. Matthew 14 and 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now he has already told them they were going to the other side. So God knows, God knows. They were doing the will of God, going in the direction he told them to go. Matthew 14, 23, and when he has sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Sometimes it seems that God tells us to go in this direction, and He goes in this direction. But He's always aware of what is going on, though it may not always seem that way. Matthew 6, 8, For your Father knoweth what you have need of before you ask. Matthew 14, 24, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Trials. When we go in the direction God tells us to go, we meet opposition. We meet doubt, fears. Winds are contrary. So we got to look at our trials the same as walking on water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, okay, Jesus was walking on the sea. And that was the thing that was about to destroy them. The thing that was about to swallow them up. And they were troubled, saying, Is a spirit? And they cried out for fear. They did not recognize the answer. They were afraid of their answer. I heard the story of a man that lived close to a large river. And during the night, heavy rains came and flowed his house away with him in it. Upon awakening and seeing his predicament, he cried out to the Lord to rescue him. He immediately felt peace and knew that God was going to come to his rescue. He climbed out of a window and got on top of the house as it floated down the river. At one point, his house floated close to the bank and a man threw him a rope so he could pull him to shore. The man on the house refused the rope saying, God is going to rescue me. Well, a while later, a helicopter came by and then a boat. But both times, the man on the house refused their help saying, God is going to rescue me. And eventually the man drowned and went to heaven. He questioned God about not rescuing him. God told him, I threw you a rope, sent you a helicopter and a boat, but you refused my help every time. And sometimes God's come to the rescue, but we fail to recognize Him 
or the answer he sends. I've done that. We need to be sensitive, listen. You know, a lot of time, I know I've done that, I pray for the will of God. And all the whole time, it's right here under my nose. I just didn't recognize it, didn't see it. But we have to be sensitive. Now on the sea of life, the devil will put water in our boat. In severe trials, he may even sink our boat in an effort to get to us. He wants to get us out of the boat, out of that safe place. Paul's boat sank. Remember, Paul was told, stay with the ship and you'll be saved and all those with you. Well, what happened to that ship? It crashed up against the rocks and broke to pieces. So Paul's promise was shattered. His boat was sank. But what did Paul do? He grabbed a board, a piece of his promise, and he floated to shore and he did a work for God. And then sometimes in these situations like this, like Paul, we need what I call a spiritual life jacket. It's something to hold on to until we get delivered or get to shore. We ended up raising two grandchildren in our old age. And I had a lot of questions, doubts, uncertainties, which brought on a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of things involved here I'm not going into detail about. I might later, I don't know, depending if God directs me to do so. But I felt like I was sinking or drowning. I came to church and Brother, Sal, Brother Stroud talked about trusting the Lord with all your heart and lay not unto your own understanding. In other words, God was saying, here, hold on to this. He threw me a spiritual life jacket. Hold on to this. Just, just trust me until you get rescued. You know, sometimes we're still out in the sea, the waves are roaring, the wind's blowing, but we got a spiritual life jacket that we hold on that keeps us afloat. And when we're traveling, road signs tell us we're on the right path. But now, of course, GPS nowadays does all that for us, but on the road signs, there's, there's signs that tell you what highway you're on, which way to turn to go to a certain road. It's the same with spiritual life jackets. They let you know you're on the right path. You're still on the road. Psalms 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, sermons preached can be a spiritual life jacket. The, the preacher can preach something about your situation. It's something that's for you to hold on to until you get your answer. There's messages in songs. You know, you can get a message from a song in people's testimonies, things that people say. God will give us a word to hold on to. He said, here, hold on to this until I can rescue you, until I get to you. So God gives us what I call spiritual life jackets to keep us afloat so we can keep swimming, or keep walking, and keep going on. And Joshua, we're told that the Jordan River was flooded. They needed to cross. They kept walking toward their obstacle. And when the priest's feet touched the water, the river parted. Well, we were told in our situation to go to the other side, not knowing what we would encounter. And the winds were contrary. 
we didn't meet opposition. There were a lot of things that there was uncertainty in, but we kept walking. And when your feet touches the problem, God will make a way. Sometimes God will make us get our feet wet. So Diana, the oldest granddaughter, but the only granddaughter, she was the oldest of the grandchildren. <clears throat> well, I didn't know what we was gonna do about her schooling after she got out of high school. But we kept walking, we kept walking. That was an uncertainty. But the night she graduated, she got some unexpected scholarships. We didn't know what was coming. And then about that time, I got an unexpected income tax refund. And the scholarship was given by some of the richer people of the community. And months later, God spoke to me and told me, I used the rich people of this parish to answer your prayer to provide Diana with her schooling. And of course, time came not long after that for Diana to get married. She met this nice guy named Justin Nelson, which we're very glad to have him in the family. Good guy. But I didn't know about that. Weds cost money. We kept walking. I just knew that God was going to provide. I just kept walking. <clears throat> well, there's a pipeline that runs through one corner of my property that goes up on the Canyon Lake. Well, lo and behold, they decided they want to put new pipe up on the Canyon Lake. They want to use a piece of my property for staging there to store pipe, do some work, and all that kind of stuff. Well, originally, they told me I wasn't going to get nothing out of the deal. I kept walking. Finally, the situation changed a little bit, and they offered me like $2,000. I just kept walking, kept walking. To make a long story short, and I can't give you all the details that went into this because it just takes too long. That's almost a podcast within itself, how God did it and how God directed me. In the end, I, I got $20,000 from the pipeline people for using my property. Of course, they had to pay taxes on it and my tithes. Which, praise the Lord, we're willing to do it. <clears throat> but I told Diana and Justin, they're the only two people I ever know of that God paid for their wedding. But God provided the money and the funds for their wedding. We kept walking. And Nathaniel, the grandson, well, I was concerned about his college. I thought, well, the only thing I know to do, we just had to borrow the money. Brother Morton Buster came through and preached. He said, God will make a way for your child to go to college. He just made that statement. I thought, well, it's not my child, it's my grandchild. So I claimed that. To me, that was a spiritual life jacket. He threw me a spiritual life jacket. You hold on to this. And I held on to that. And in the end, Nathaniel was able to get some grants. His schooling didn't cost anything. So praise the Lord. We kept walking. But when our, foot, our feet touched the problem, God parted the way. So we must learn to recognize God's guidance and recognize His answer. So many sink because they don't recognize God's answer. And they won't grab a spiritual life jacket when it's thrown their way. They just, they just let it go over the head, let it go by. They don't recognize it for what it is. 
But anyway, let's get back to the Peter in the boat. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it, bid, if it be thee, bid me come unto thee on the water. The thing that was about to destroy Peter and the other disciples or swallow him up was the thing he said, Lord, let me come to you on the water, on the thing that's about to destroy me. And he said, come. And Peter was come down out of the ship. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. The thing was that was about to destroy him or swallow him up, now listen to this, was what took him to Jesus. The water was between Peter and God. It was either going to swallow him up or take him to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Peter was not seeing what God saw. God saw Peter walking on the water. Peter saw the waves. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The two main things I see in this is that Jesus came to Peter walking on the thing that was about to destroy him. And the thing that was about to swallow up or destroy Peter was the thing he walked on or the thing that took him to Jesus. What is so wonderful is God is saying, go on to the other side like I said. And when things get rough, I'll show up. And the things that are coming against you will be under my feet and I will take you by the hand and lift you up above them. So they will be under my feet also and under your feet, and we will go to the other side together. So the things that come to destroy us are the things that will take us to Jesus. So most of our trials are taking us somewhere. So don't look at it as just something that's come against you to harm you, to destroy you. Most of the time, our trials are taking us somewhere. Joseph took him to be ruler of Egypt so he could save the children of Israel from starvation. The fiery furnace took the three Hebrew boys to a one-on-one -on -one visit with God. The giant that came to destroy David and Israel actually gave them victory. David stood on him and cut his head off. And eventually David was elevated to king. So it's very important for us to know that God knows the beginning and He knows the ending of our trials and our situation. God knew that when Joseph was sold into slavery, the beginning, that he would someday be ruler, which would be the ending. See, God already knew it. He done told Joseph, one day your brothers are going to bow to you. But all of a sudden, Joseph's world fell apart. He was sold into slavery, and you know the story of all that he went through. But see, God saw all that. He done told, just like he told the disciples, you go to the other side. He knew they were going to the other side. He told Joseph, you're going to be ruler. So he saw from that day to here, and he, he also knew everything was going to happen in between. So nothing catches God by surprise. God is the beginning and the end. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And God knew that when Abraham was walking up that mountain to sacrifice Isaac, there was a ram coming up the other side. God knew that the three Hebrew children were being thrown into the fiery furnace, that he was going to be there with him. 
God knew when David was thrown in, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den that he would survive. So when the wind is contrary, or we face trials, battles, or opposition, God already knows the beginning, he knows the end, and he knows about everything in between. So like I already said, nothing catches God by surprise. So remember that when we have a rough day, God saw that day when he told us to go on to the other side. God's already saw that day. God knew the storm was coming. That's why he went to them. He already knew they were going to the other side. That's why he asked, why are you afraid? We just have to learn to not lean onto our own understanding. Galatians 6 and 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And here we go. This is very important right here. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalted itself against God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I believe any, any unconquered thought becomes either sin or unbelief. Now, if we're to be victorious and step into the miracles that God wants us to have, we have to understand and learn how to do, verse 5, and casting down imaginations and everything that exalted itself against God. But this is where it gets hard for us. Like I said, God already knows our beginning and our ending. But what we have to do is cast down our fears, our doubts, our anxieties that acknowledge themselves against the knowledge of God. See, God has a knowledge of our ending, but it's these fears, these doubts, these anxieties, they raise themselves up against what God knows and start telling us a false story. Rise ourselves up against the knowledge of God, against what our true end is going to be if we stay faithful. We've already talked about how that God had the knowledge that Joseph would go from slave to ruler. Now Joseph could have messed all this up and learned it all if he had allowed his imagination to acknowledge itself against the knowledge of God. Our fears, anxieties, doubts can destroy what God has planned for us if we do not have the faith to stay in His will and be faithful to God during our trials. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must exercise faith during our trials and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. At a point in our situation, I quit praying. As a result of that, I got despondent, I got depressed, I got fearful, I got doubtful. But God threw me a spiritual life jacket. Brother Robert Stroud, my pastor's dad, preached a message one Wednesday night on prayer, importance of prayer. So I got back, I got back to praying. 
and I got my that rock, Jesus, back under me. And got my mind straightened out again. Got those fears and doubts out of my mind. And I just found out, just told God, I said, if I sink, I'll be holding on your hand when I go under. God knows the result, end results of our situations, but our thoughts and imaginations can exalt themselves against the knowledge of God because fear in our hearts can destroy our faith, destroy our victory, our miracle. So we have fear that when we have not brought every thought into captivity and into the obedience of Christ. Now that's a hard thing to do. But God told us not to be troubled or afraid. So we're not obeying God if we have fear or we are troubled. And as long as those fears are in our mind, they are between us and God. See, if you got it up here, this is in your mind, it's between you and God. It's in the way. It's in between you and God. It's interfering. But when they're under our feet, then they're not between us and God. They, they're here in our mind, they're between us and God. But if they're down here under our feet, then they're not between us and God. If we're carrying our problems, stumbling stones, then we're weighted down. We get our arms weighted down where we can't worship and praise. And worship brings victory. And the devil does not want us to worship. That's why we must lay our burdens down so we can lift up our hands and worship. Like the scripture said, lift up the feeble hands. You know, feeble hands. We walk around like this. We're depressed. We're fearful. The Bible said, lift up those feeble hands. You know, lift them up. Worship. So God wants us to cast down our imaginations. The battle is won in the mind. It starts right there. I see sickness, problem, failure, doom, and gloom. But that's not what God sees. And that's what happened to Peter. He took his eyes off his answer and got his eyes on his problem. So we have to cast imagination, fear, doubts, etc., down so they'll be under our feet. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your care up. He care it for you. So here it is. We'll sum it up for you. Cares up, imaginations down. Cares up to God, imagination down under your feet. And just we're gonna have to learn to lean, not to our own understanding. David ran toward the giant. There was no fear, no hesitation. So stumbling stones are stepping stones. We can walk on them, let them hold us up. Or we can carry them in our minds and let them weigh us down. A man was watching an ant carry a large blade of grass that was much larger than the ant. The ant came to a large crack in the sidewalk. The ant could not cross the large crack and carry the blade of grass too. Walking up and down the crack, trying to find a way to cross, the ant finally laid the blade of grass, his burden, across the crack and walked on the blade of grass, his burden, to the other side. So when the ant put his burden under his feet, he was then able to cross. So we need to learn to use our burdens and our trials as a bridge to Jesus. If God told us to go to the other side, then we will make it. Now some burdens 
can be permanent. You know, Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He asked God to remove, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient. And I heard a story years and years ago about a lady that she had some type of affliction and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed for God to heal her and God would never heal her. She kept petitioning God. Finally, God told her, said, if I heal you, you'll backslide. So there's a reason sometimes that we have maybe some type of permanent situation. The old timers used to say, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Then somebody said, yeah, but you can put salt in his oats. You know, and sometimes God puts salt in our lives to make us thirsty for him. And that's the whole point of any affliction or tribulation is for us to seek God so he can communicate with us. And the hard things in my life are really is what has made me. It wasn't the easy things. It was the hard things. And we just need to develop the attitude like the three Hebrew boys said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace or from this affliction, this trial or whatever. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, but if not, we ain't budging, we ain't changing. Our hope, our strength is still gonna be in God. And I think, it's just my opinion, that there'll come a time in every, Christian, every true Christian's life, we're gonna to have to say, God give it and God take it away. And though he slay me, I will trust him. I'm closing with this. This little simple incident I had one time, I was in the heat of battle. I was praying and I just had this saw this in my mind. I don't know if you call it a vision or not, but this actually really truly happened. I can still see it right now. In the middle of this burning fiery furnace was a small table similar to a card table. And on one side of that table was an empty chair and sitting on the table was a glass of iced tea that had ice in it. Now I'm talking about we're in the middle of a fiery furnace. It's hot in there. Flames everywhere glass of iced tea. On the other side of that table sat the Lord. Now I couldn't just make him out, I mean, but I just knew it was the Lord. And he had a glass of iced tea in his hands. He said, come on, sit down. Have a glass of iced tea. Refresh yourself and we'll walk out of here together. So the thing is, no matter how hot it was in there, it wasn't about to melt God's ice. So no matter how hot your situation is, God can always, is always going to bring you a refreshing drink somewhere in the midst of that. So just remember, the devil's heat, it don't melt God's ice. And God bless you.